Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. We've officially entered the college football offseason, Robbie. How are you feeling? Oh, it's de- it's a little depressing. Uh, it is I mean, a little depressing. Yeah, I think uh, we, we dread this time every year, um, but uh, luckily, I will mention it in a few seconds here, we have something that's keeping us a little bit more uplifted this time of year. All right, give us that cheers. I, I mean, what else am I going to do? The Buzz has a top 10 uh, basketball program. Now, I will say we just started recording right after the Georgia Tech game. I'm not going to, um, I'm not being a jerk, but I'm not going to say the same thing that I just read on my Twitter feed 25 times about uh, <laughs> you know, what the common take is on that. But he's, uh, he's on fire and he's really got this program humming and he's made the entire team believers. And it's, it's actually unbelievable to watch and to think about where this program's been in the past and where it is today. So I don't know who else I could possibly cheers other than, than buzz and the team, obviously everybody. I like that. Cheers. We'll put a pin in the, uh, basketball talk for a moment. Uh, let's get to some news and notes. And the first thing I had is just, I guess two nights ago, Clemson won the national championship. They beat Alabama. In fact, they they killed Alabama. They spanked them, forty four to sixteen. And I, I wanted to bring that up only because that is the culmination of everything we cover all year. We cover the college football season for Virginia Tech, but having Clemson, an ACC foe in the game, was interesting yet again. This is the third time in four years, and the second championship for Clemson beating Alabama again in the championship game for the second time in three years, correct? Yeah, I think so, that's... Well, they've played four years in a row in the national, right? Isn't it? I think that's In the idea. playoff, they've played four years in a row. Last year's was in the semifinal. That's right. That's right. But how, what did you think about the way they just dominated Saban and Alabama? That, that was... For as many people predicted the game, I think... More people would have predicted an Alabama blowout than the other way. This th- that was a stunning result. Yeah, the most I heard, and I listen to a lot of podcasts and just radio personalities and things like that. That people would say is, we think it's going to go down to the wire. That it's going to be another close game. Nobody went other than me and my funny, you know, text message to you and Joe. What would happen if if Clemson won by 40 and whether Saban would retire? But nobody ever thought that that was going to happen. My takeaway um, from that game is I've never seen an Alabama team in the common under Saban in the common kind of era look like that. They look flustered. They looked uh, fish out of water. He looked like he didn't know what he was doing on the sidelines. They were making stupid play calls. It was the complete anti-Alabama. And on the flip side, Dabo and Venables, who Venables deserves a exceptional amount of credit. The game he, he called, called a great game. Whew, uh, it was. They looked just cool, comfortable, and and they had a, a true freshman quarterback and they were like yep yep we're going to come back and they did it in tough times and then it just became a blowout early on they could have been on their heels but it ended up being Alabama pretty quickly yeah 
the way that the freshmen played for Clemson, I thought was particularly outstanding. They weren't even using veteran skill players. You know, they're using a true freshman quarterback, a true freshman receiver and Ross, who was just amazing all night long, making snags and all the guys on Clemson were making great catches. I thought in the beginning when Tua went deep to Judy and they get down and like they scored right back after Clemson got the early pick six that, oh boy, here we go. This is going to be like Bama flexing his muscles. They just had a mistake to start the game, but they're going to be fine. But Venables and that defense didn't budge much after that. I mean, after after it was 7-7, what, they gave up nine points yeah. and, then they, and then they scored uh, 37. So it was... It was pretty damn impressive from Dabo, and what he's built there is it is not Alabama. Alabama's won many championships over the last, what, five and eight years or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's not a dynasty yet for Dabo, but it seems to be well on its way, and guess what? He's 20 years younger than Saban. <laughs> yeah, it's not a dynasty, but it's it's far and away right now, at present moment, the best program in the country. It, it is? It's, it, it, and... The way that they look, the way that they're recruiting Venables, you know, the way I broke down the game was Venables called an amazing defense and his players executed and the offense. I don't think the play calling for Clemson was all that special, but the players are so special between the quarterback. Some of those catches, I kept just tweeting out just like the, uh, the, the face where you're like in shock, like one handed catches, one handed grabs. Trevor Lawrence, the pass over two defenders that he drops into a bucket in the end zone. It it just kept going. And I was like, what the heck is going on? This offense is unbelievable. I put the offensive performance on Clemson on the players, but Brent Venables on the defensive side called an amazing game. And this is going to link to the next topic that we talk about, which is the coaching carousel around college football and how it's affecting the ACC. But one thing that Saban's had to deal with that Clemson really hasn't had to deal with too much is the constant revolving door of assistant coaches. And many experts and people who cover it closely, the Bruce Feldman types, thought that this was Saban's weakest assistant group that he's had in many years because people leave every single year. We've seen Kiffin go out the door and Sarkeesian go out the door. And it's just... People want to hire Saban's guys. It makes a lot of sense. And he brings in a lot of high-profile guys. And Loxley on offense, who's going to Maryland to be the head coach next year, didn't have a great game. The defensive coordinator for Bama didn't have a great game. And that was a decided advantage for Clemson, was that they just called way better games than what Alabama did. I mean, the fake punt or the fake kick, I mean, that was so bad. It's been much talked about, but it what an, what an amazing performance by Clemson. And I'm happy they're in the conference and that the ACC uh, is somewhat relevant, even though you know the con- the conference pride thing is kind of an SEC thing. We don't really do that too, too much. But it's nice to stick at the Bama. And honestly, without Clemson, what is the ACC right now? It yeah. is the Pac-12. It, it, it does not have a powerhouse because Florida State's down, Miami is down, and we need Clemson. We need the cachet of Clemson. Syracuse is the best, the second best team in the conference this year, and by far. I mean, they were they won ten games, right? Well, they almost beat Clemson. They should have beat Clemson, and they they were supposed to win twelve games. Other than two stupid mistakes, they literally would have gone twelve and zero. So, um, those are the only two teams you can really hang your hat on. I think. I think the Clemson um, 
it, it's not the whole, yeah, go ACC because, you know, we're hanging our hat on Clemson. For me, it's much more get to the ACC championship game. And even if you have one loss now, but you beat Clemson, mm-hmm. you have a shot. That's the difference. And that's the is, point. That's exactly. the whole point is that it, 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 I'm not one of those that's like, oh, we're going to take like credit for Clemson the winning. My point is, is that now they've gotten to a point where if you get to the ACC championship game, even with a loss, and even with two losses, we wouldn't get in, but at least you would make it to a really good bowl. If, if you get in there and you somehow beat them on just a random night, then um, you know that means a lot for your program. The clout of Clemson is necessary to springboard you into better bowls, uh, potentially a college football playoff at some point. You need them to be good so that when you beat them, you look better. And and them winning national championships, recruiting the way they are, it's um it's bad for us because it's going to be a roadblock to winning ACC titles. But at the same time, it could end up being good for us at some point. And so I'm, you know, I'm always happy for Dabo. I know both me and you respect him just about as much as any coach respect and just like his, the way he goes about his business. Um, he's enjoyable to listen to all of the above. And so that, that was a cool for Clemson to, to beat the evil empire of Saban, uh, on Monday night. The next thing I had was the Trevon Hill statement. He released a statement on Twitter. This is something we talked about with Matei Sis last week. Would a return of Trevon Hill be in the works potentially because he put out a video suggesting he wanted to return. He kind of walked into the stadium at the end. And then there's this statement that basically says, I'm not going to the NFL. I want to play on Saturdays. It doesn't say that he's transferring. He kind of explains what happened to ODU. Of course, there's two sides to every story. It, It struck me as odd. How did it strike you? Yeah, it struck me as odd and it, it struck me we're going to talk about this uh, hopefully in a future podcast, which we'll preview, um, you know, about bigger things. It It's just um, at the pro level, players will say whatever they want, right? Like they're making millions of dollars. They don't care. At the college level, you'll notice that they're much more subdued in what they put out on Twitter and things like that because it has a reputation risk. It has an influence on what happens for them in the future. And it has. And, and they're not making any money. Yes, they're getting their education, but they're not getting paid right now. So mm-hmm. if it influences their draft stock and it shows that they're not you know, forward-thinking and what the, they're doing the way that they're acting... Um, that's what was surprising to me is, you know, you're taking a risk every time as a college player, and I'm not saying it should be this way, but I'm saying it is this way. You're taking a risk on your future. And that's what stuck out to me. And I think, and and I wish I, I remember who tweeted it out, but it was like, that is very forward leaning when people, and that's why you don't see it very often. You just see the decommitment messages. You don't see after the fact trouble messages from college players. And that's advised to them not to do it. I would say, well, let's move on to the idea of, would you want him back on the team? Cause if the coaches would welcome him back, I certainly want him back on the team. Yes. Because he would be the best player in our defense. If he came back next year, we've, we, uh, you know, we, I don't know all the inner workings of everything that's gone wrong. I don't know. You know, there's been, a, there has been a ton of stuff that has come out both, um, substantiated, but then also some of it that's not substantiated. So I don't want to go there from a talent perspective. Yes, we all know from a personality perspective. I, I'm 
I'm get I'm getting to the place where you need to start managing the roster a little bit better. And I'm hoping that years to come that it'll it'll start to improve. But that is my biggest gripe right now is is we're we're losing really good talent and that could be anybody's fault. I don't know. I don't claim to be an insider or no. And you have to manage the the, the roster. The, every program around the country yeah. has problems. Lots of big problems, lots of small problems. And uh, I would like to see him on there and I'd like to see him. Yeah, I mean, you know, lobster. the story is that with Hill is that this wasn't a first strike. It wasn't a first offense. And he crossed a line during that ODU halftime that he described in that statement. Um, and that was it. That was strike three, I suppose. Matasis, when we had him on, he was like, he's not coming back. That that was essentially what he said. Yep. So we're not holding out hope. But the statement, it's as if Hill is begging the coaches to let him come back. Almost. That's how it that's kind of how I saw it. Did you see it like that or no? Yeah, I I, I think he I, I that's how I read it was like airing out because he did air out like, you know, hey, this is kind of what happened. He didn't This was my side this. of the story. This is yeah. my side of the story and um you know, and on the key play, a notable player's father posts on there about stuff that happens. Um, and yeah, you can figure it out if you want to go on to the key play. It's pretty easy to figure out who's on there. Um, and it starts to kind of help you understand some of the inner workings of what's happening on the coaching staff. But again, we'll defer to, to later podcasts where I think we want to do kind of these broad stroke overviews. I would yeah. put him back on the team and I would give him absolutely zero tolerance policy on anything uh, and see what he can do because I do yeah. think his statement is he's trying to get back on the team. Here's I think the he issue. Here's the issue with that. And and I, hey, I like that idea. I told you I he'd be the most talented player, best player on our defense if he came back tomorrow. Zero tolerance with Trevon Hill. I almost guarantee he doesn't make through the season. And then it's like, okay, well then there we are. So I, I and I bet you that's what the coaches are thinking too. And so yeah. that's why he probably won't be back with Tech. But that that will speak to a larger thing as you indicated earlier is you know the culture at the program and you know we've lost a lot of guys. We had the coaching thing. We had our starting quarterback uh, investigated for academic fraud last summer. There was a lot of. A lot of BS in 2018 with this program. Yeah. And, and I think by getting rid of Hill and Mook and Adonis and all those guys, which Adonis was kind of an academic thing, um, it was kind of like a clean slate. It's like, let's just start fresh. And that's why I wouldn't predict him to come back. But it will link into what we kind of talk about later in this podcast and in a future podcast. Only one final point that I want to put on there, and that's Juco's. Because now, so <laughs> there. JUCOs don't necessarily have a history of usually working out with programs and they usually kind of end up in places and don't have necessarily the cultural fit. And that's what we're using to backfill. So I 100% agree with you. And that's not a judgment to any of the JUCOs that we're bringing in now. I'm just saying that I get what you're saying. Yeah. Typically, <laughs> that those are usually like situations that you don't know. You didn't go out and recruit that kid. You didn't, you don't know him. You don't know his background as much. Usually they're place fillers and we're using those. So no matter what, it's not like, so we you're have, saying pick your poison. Do you want a Trevon Hill who could be a problem, but has hopefully learned from his mistakes? Or do you want a Juco who, you know, couldn't get to college to begin with and you don't know as much about him? Yeah, and I, and I see what you're saying. Like you're kind of, 
either either one could not work out, but you know Hill's going to perform on the field. Yeah, it's just two unknowns, basically, is all I'm saying, is that we're operating in a lot of unknowns at a really key position right now. But we can yeah. get to that when we go through the whole kind of next year. All right, let's move forward. We're going to talk about the schedule. Rhode Island got swapped in for ECU on the 2019 schedule. We now have two FCS teams on the schedule along with Furman. Seven home games in total. ODU, Furman, Rhode Island, Duke, UNC, Pitt, and Wake. That is a garbage home schedule. <laughs> I don't predict that the season ticket sales will be very high. Well, thank, thankfully I've already paid for my donation. So I give my <laughs> Yeah, you did two years, didn't yeah. you? <laughs> so uh, it's already locked in. And I'm probably not the only one. So maybe. Right. I'm sure a lot of people got locked in, which is which is good for the sales. Yes. But, yes. Um, people who are not locked in, when you look at that and you're like, oh, two FCS teams and Old Dominion, and although that is a revenge game now, uh, yeah. and then three teams from North Carolina and Pitt. It's like, that is yeah. so bad. It is It is bad. Um, you know, and I mean, we I, should I go 7-0 and at home with that schedule. Honest to God. I, I, I mean, people were giving me shit that I, you know, and I'm, I'm happy being, you know, angry about it is next year. There's no reason that this team shouldn't be able to win nine games. Like seven and O during that, that slate is really feasible. The turnover, all of those things. We'll get into our previews, but just, and I haven't dug into everybody that's yeah, coming no, back and every team. And, but you look but, at what's happened and you look at the turnover going on in the coastal and it's like, okay, then our away games are GT, UVA, Miami, and BC. I mean, you could win any of those games, if not all of them. I mean, they're very – Miami's got a new coach. BC lost a ton of seniors. Georgia Tech, full overhaul. And UVA, they lost a ton, but they're probably the second team in the Coastal. Uh, us and them are probably 1-2 right now Yeah, for people that are going to predict it for next year, I, which is, is kind of crazy to think about. I, I just saw this thing, too, on Twitter about the weakest schedules, and this, this links into what we were just talking about. They had like all the power five teams in their schedules and we were the second to last most difficult schedule of all the power five teams. I was, and one spot above us was UVA. Yeah. I was going to tweet or send a message to you and Joe about that because um, what I also thought was interesting uh, uh, about that is the circular reference that happens but, and our the out of conference, I get it. It's trash. But like when UVA is 65th and then we're 66th and then you're playing each other, because if you look at the far right of that chart and if you follow college football pretty closely and like some of the stuff that gets put out, you'll see the chart and it splits it, the all of the top, what is it, 65 teams we have now or 66 teams um, yeah, in the power, theme, power five. 66 the, including BYU, yeah. That's right. Then on the right-hand side is a, almost the entire ACC except for yeah. Clemson. So the coastal in particular. So if you think one team's bad, then you ding, you know what I mean? It's a circular reference in some, in some respects. Yeah. And I our out of conference is trash. So I'm not trying to justify it that way, but if UVA ends up becoming a lot better, then that hops up a little, you know, it just depends on how everybody performs. But I, it is when I saw that, um, Again, another for another podcast when we talk about bigger things, um, the the coaching staff is staring down the barrel of a very large gun uh, next year, given how easy the schedule looks on paper. Yeah, we do go to South Bend to play Notre Dame. That is the only 
essentially the only redeeming quality of the entire schedule. Hopefully you and I will attend that game again. It was a lot of fun last time when we went a couple years ago. But it's we'll talk about it over the summer and beyond, but it's like 10 wins or bust with this schedule. It really is. I, that that seems crazy considering we just had our first losing season in 26 seasons, but also the youngest team in the ACC. So it's the projection is what I mean in the country. There's already the way too early top 25s. <laughs> yeah, I want I want to get into those way too early top 25s a little bit later. Uh, but let's let's move on to just a couple more things before we talk about basketball and the bowl. Next up, we had Torian Gray now available because it seems like he's out with the Redskins. What do you think about that? <laughs> um, I thought I thought your your tweet uh, earlier was pretty on point. I responded to a, a couple of people about this. Uh, he he had his pay cut and he went to the NFL. So uh, well, he went what? So when Fuente came in, you're referring to yes, they were going to cut his pay. Did he jump to Florida first and then to yes. Washington? Is yeah, that what happened? Yeah, but I guess my point being is like it, it wasn't. It's not like he's at you know New Mexico right now. He he made it up to you know kind of big board sports. Maybe he couldn't have hung it at the uh, the Redskins level, but he is. We know how good he is. We we can pay him the money that he needs if we want to, and uh, I'd bring him back in a heartbeat. I I think he is good for the program. I think he understands how to coach defensive backs. I think that he could be waiting in the wings for when Bud Foster decides to hang it up. Just like you said, there's just so much, so much good that can come from that. Assuming that people can be adults and, and move past what, what happened. Yes. And, and that's the thing about this. It is a extreme long shot that Torian Gray ever coaches for Virginia Tech again. I mean, he's coached in the NFL. He's coached at a blue blood school, more or less, in Florida. He will probably have his pick of jobs if he wanted them. However, he's a Tech guy. He was at Virginia Tech forever, had so much success, put so many defensive backs into the NFL. And if Coach and Witt had a real brain in their head and watched what happened on the field this year, it is so obvious that you at least have a conversation with him and see if that fence can be mended. You know, if if you can just, you know, everyone swallow their pride a little bit, have a conversation, see if you can come to an agreement because what was horrible on our team this year our back end. It was atrocious. And let, let, let's let's not excuse the D-line because that got really bad when the injuries mounted up. But the back end was so bad. We have no cover corners. Bryce Watts, he he's a tough dude and he played as hard as he could and Farley and what but we need help. We those guys need to be coached properly. And it's such an obvious move it would be we already had a co-DC with Galen Scott here, right? You know, yes. so why can't you? Bud's not opposed to it. I don't know the relationship between Bud and Torian. I assume it's okay. I, I would assume that it's okay. Um, it has to bring be. him back. I don't think bring it him had, back. I don't think it had much to really do with him and Bud. I th- they they worked out perfectly. I mean, the you can't put out yeah. that level of talent unless yeah. they're getting along. And um, 
No, I, I fully agree. I don't want to harp on it too much. We shouldn't set, spend too much time on it because it's it's a pipe dream. It's but never going to happen. It's something both of us said. It, we've talked about it. I think every single Virginia Tech fan who follows the program has would basically welcome that move with open arms. And you know, it, it would be, it would go a long way with building some momentum for the program, if you ask me. But moving on. The Coastal Coaching Carousel. This is something me and you were talking about a little bit earlier. Uh, and I, I, why don't you give me your thoughts on just some of the moves that have gone down? Uh, I, I was actually really excited to talk about this because I think it's extremely meaningful for Virginia Tech fans. So we start at the top, uh, UNC. Larry Fedora is out. 71-year-old Mac Brown is in. Um, and it, <laughs> is he, is he, he's, he's what, 68? No. I think he's actually 71. Well, I got I got to look it up. I'll yeah, look it up. you Go look ahead. it up, but he's, he's pretty old. close. Um and and the weird part is is that it's maybe already starting to have some influence on recruiting cuz we just had somebody flip back. But the fact is it's just not not a good decision and in fact it's it's pretty atrocious. Um walking through and and past that, you get over to Georgia Tech, Paul Johnson who uh, I would not characterize him as um, one of the most favorite amongst the Hokie uh, fan base for a lot of different reasons. And I believe when I was listening to PAPN, Podcast Ain't Played Nobody, they just called him a grumpy old asshole was what the, they said. And that's why people don't like the triple option because they just associate it with Paul Johnson, which I thought was the funniest quote ever and pretty good. He's out. Um and they bring in Jeff Collins from Temple, which I know you're probably, uh, you know, uh, had, th- had yeah, some I've, thoughts. On. I like to root for Temple. I live up in Philadelphia, and they've had an p- actual program the last five, six years. So it was a shame for them to lose Collins after two years. He's a Georgia Tech guy. I think he was a grad assistant there back in the day. And he's made a couple really nice assistant hires up there. Yeah. Or down there, I should say. Yeah. And then they hire Alabama's offensive line coach, which – um, in, in Brent key is huge. Uh, I can't remember his name, but from today they made a big, uh, coaching recruiting hire, basically Georgia yeah, a guy from Auburn. I forget yeah. his name. Georgia tech it, is relatively on fire in what they've done. And that's not to say Collins is going to blow the doors off it, but that that is a recruiting powerhouse. And if they staff that the right way, the state of Georgia, yes. It, yes. Like they have the most D one talent. I think, of almost any state. Yeah. And that's why people have always kind of said, it's like that old sleeping giant mentality that you and I, um, you know, joked around about, but now it's real. I mean, now they're really starting to staff it up and it could get dangerous quick. And then the Mark Ricks situation, which, uh, for those that don't know, basically long and short, Mark Rick was going to have to fire his son. So he ended up, he basically retired is, is the long and short of it. That's what happened. Yes. That's there. No need to go into any more detail. It's not that surprising. He's not the type of guy that's going to fire his son. That That's pretty well known throughout the country ranks. Um, then they came down to Cristobal or Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz rescinds from the temple job and which he, then they had to pay for that. They had to pay Temple $4 million for 17 days. <laughs> On top of having to pay for um, uh, for Collins. So they got two paychecks off of that. Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah. So they made like $10 million, or 
It was like eight. Temple million. could use the money. Yeah, they could they, use the money. They made That's like nice. eight million. Oh no, ten. They want. They made like eight to ten million. Um, Crystal Ball's buyout was ten million. That was never going to happen. Oregon's had too much of a shakeout. It, it was not possible. But also relevant. Justin, that's now going to be Manny Diaz first year. And then the next one I'll be very quick on because it doesn't matter until the year after next is what's happened at West Virginia. And Holgerson's out, went to Houston. If you you want to hear the story about it, listen to podcast saying played nobody because it is completely logical, even though people have tried yeah. to make it. It seems odd on the surface because you've got a power five guy to fairly big name program of West Virginia going to a G five in Houston, but not all G fives are created equal. That's right. And he's from, he, he worked there. Uh, he, you know, he was a coach there. He cares about his assistants, et cetera. More importantly, WVU, which is relevant to us ends up with probably the most talked about uh, coach in Troy's Neil Brown. Um, yeah. And that, in my mind, you know, is is not a small thing. Luke Fickle was the other name I think that um, I had heard out there. Cincinnati's coach. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but Neil Brown, people say I don't know coaches. I don't know anything. I just know what I listen to. A lot of people, and when twelve out of twelve all say Neil Brown is incredible, and what he put on the four field, and Troy almost beat Clemson this year, which is incredible when you think about it. Um, that's uh, almost beat is. Is a little generous. Well, it was it was like like it came down to the last like quarter. Like it was pretty intense. But in any case, I think um, I think that you know, yeah, he's, he's a really a good, good coach. coach. Yeah, and and I was kind of waffling on that whether I would rather have WVU hire Fickle or Brown, and I think I would have rather them had Brown only because I think Fickle's just, he's a bigger name and is a defensive guy and we'll have like the West Virginia defense actually playing really good defense pretty soon. Brown, I'm not as sure. I think it could be a longer build and we play them in two years. So they, they've got a lot of work to do at West Virginia. They, they're losing Will Greer. They're losing a ton. Obviously the whole program is turning over. I'm hoping they're not running on all cylinders and I would predict that they are not when we play them in two years. Yes. And just to clarify... Troy versus Clemson, 24 to 30. And uh, Clemson, in her, I think it was an interception or fumbled. Troy was winning. And then they Clemson ran it back 95 you are, yards. You're so. right. I, 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 <laughs> I must have been mixed up. That is, you were, you're right on. They, but that's they are a tough team. And the thing was, when we were at Battle of Bristol, that same day, Troy was playing Clemson. I know. I guess it's a, it's, they have a series with them. And that game was, was really tight for yeah. a while. Yeah. So that, that coach is nothing to, Let's just say in 2000, we play West Virginia in 2020, right? The year after next, I think, is when yeah, the next yeah, time yeah. we play them. I'm not looking forward to going up against that guy. He does not really back down from anybody. The Diaz hire at Miami, I think, will pay much more immediate dividends than just about anyone they could have had because the continuity is there. With The def- like the defense was awesome for Miami this year. Yep. That was not the problem. And that's probably not going to take too much of a step back. Yeah, they lost recruits like in the transition uh but they're, they're still pretty loaded yeah. and that defense with him at the helm a young guy knows that town like no other his dad's the freaking mayor uh of miami yeah <laughs> this is going to be a problem for us like i whether it was crystal ball or diaz like it was going to be an issue 
Um, he's got to hire the right offensive staff, though, because they don't have a quarterback right now. Yeah, I think Cristobal might have been a little bit shakier just because of like he's on the outside. Diaz was already on the inside, and yeah, mm-hmm. there's the whole "well, do you want to leave us?" kind of thing situation. But I think players are more mature than that. Whereas Cristobal would be coming in from the outside, so I think, um, and not the outside. I don't mean it because he's a he's a Miami guy. Um, so I think the Diaz, uh, who knows which one would have paid off more dividends over the long term. But yeah. I think it was the right move. And the first shot across the bow came from UNC recently when they just picked up a heavy Virginia Tech lean from, I think it was a DB from North Carolina that we were in on for 2020. And listen, this is it's a long way to go until the 2020 signing class actually signs. But like I said, shot across the bow from Brewster and Mac down at UNC. Yes, he is old. And I, I just confirmed he's 67, turned 68 before the season. And I, I think their product on the field is not going to be good. Uh, but they are going to recruit off of hype for a couple of years, and it could cause us headaches. That's that's how I would summarize what's going on at UNC. I agree. And, uh, yeah, I think there's um... – I think there's a lot more that we can talk about that during the, the off season, a lot of thoughts that we have and what that dynamic's going to look like because uh, the North Carolina area has become, had slowly become a boon for us. And now Trey Turner. Yeah. Dax. And, and now it, um, now I'm not saying it will be, but now it's at risk of, of turning the other direction because it was going really well for us down in North Carolina. All right, let's take a quick beer break before we get into the basketball team. Robbie, what are you drinking? So uh, this is, um, thank goodness, well, I don't know if this is a bad thing. Uh, Three-notched brewing out of Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, I uh, That's probably not the best sign for our upcoming UVA game, but they have <laughs> their uh, Big Papa Biggie S'mores Imperial Stout. I can, oh, I like that. Yeah. I will make fun of them because they completely ripped off like some of the other, you know, um, I guess kind of, you know, s'more like stouts and things like that. So at least in that sense, um, I can make fun of them, but it's actually delicious. The unfortunate part is it's really, really good. You had like, I think Hardywood has their, you know, uh, one of their stouts that's like a s'more stout, but it's honestly delicious so i'm i'm can't say much it sounds uh, like something i would enjoy i'm drinking the sierra nevada celebration you've probably seen this in stores it's probably out of the stores now since we're after christmas but i still had a few left over in my fridge from the holidays and this is one of my more uh favorite beers from the last christmas season this is something that i was telling robbie like i drank this all afternoon on christmas day Uh, it's what they call a fresh hop IPA. It's not a session. It's 6.8% alcohol, but it drinks very easy and still provides you with a pretty good hop bite despite the fact that it's not super high in alcohol content. Um, And it's Sierra Nevada, which tends to be a little bit more mild. It's got a really nice bite to it. And uh, I love this celebration. I I get at least a six pack every every season. And uh, this year I had quite a bit more than that. It's funny because we just got an email, I guess it was last week, from one of our listeners, uh, Basil Safi, 
hope I'm pronouncing that right. He was telling us about the Sierra Nevada Resilience IPA, Ooh. which was actually a beer that was to benefit the campfire. And basically, Sierra Nevada came up with this recipe or something and said, like, please brew this beer and sell it for charity. And they got like 14 or 1,500 beers, uh, breweries to do it. Oh, wow. And so you can get like the Resilience IPA from, or you will be able to soon, from like 1,500 different breweries around the country. That's How awesome. How amazing is that? Yeah, that's yeah. the kind of cool stuff that happens. And, uh, you know, everybody looks at craft brewery, like the whole industry, the community is uh, being very selfish. I think they're often very much the opposite. So it's um, it's pretty cool when you can see that kind of thing happen, and especially everything that happened out on the West Coast. For sure, for sure. Okay, let's jump into the stuff we have on the men's basketball program because – this is the team we should really be talking about. I know this podcast is primarily a Virginia Tech football podcast, and we do our best to give the basketball team some coverage. But now that the season's over, uh, it's time to give the best team that Virginia Tech's had in three decades its just due. And they're 13-1, and 2-0 and in the ACC, and tonight, actually, they moved to 3-0 and in the ACC, beating Notre Dame, Boston College, and Georgia Tech since our last podcast. And... I don't know about you, Robbie, but this number nine ranking in the AP poll, it's it's almost surreal to see it when uh, it's up on ESPN. You know, I'm watching the game tonight and it says like number nine, Virginia Tech. Like it's hard to believe. Yeah, it's um, it's almost staggering to to think about, you know, that and where we were four years ago or two years ago, even to, to ever make it to number nine. And uh, it's. It's really exciting, and I think the the biggest takeaway for me in all of this is that, yeah, we have um, a relatively tough slate to go. You know, the ACC this year is down. I think that's one of the things that you've been saying, but down is relative for the ACC. Down is very relative. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's still pretty good. I mean, you watch the NC State UNC game last night, and you know, everybody's giving each other a hard time. Um, Georgia Tech did it to us tonight. It's still an extremely good conference, and um, people haven't, I don't think, been over their skis. Some people thought that they might jump up to, like, number seven. I think people are still using moderation um, in, in evaluating this team, and they still ended up at number number nine in the country. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, and the last three games, our ACC games, uh, not the best competition in the ACC this year. And that that's what we're kind of talking about. It is down compared to last year. Last year was a very particularly good year for the ACC. And this year, most consider it still the toughest conference. And it's only got six to eight good teams, like, re- like really top quality teams, um, six of which are ranked in the top 15, which is which is the most of any conference, and none of them are from 16 to 25, which is really amazing. We are one spot away in the rankings, in fact, from the school record of number eight. And some people thought we'd get it last week. With the win over Georgia Tech tonight and no game on Saturday, it could happen going into the game against UVA. I could also see somebody else jumping us. I mean, the just it, when you look at the paper, you know, some people are going to look at what 52-49. I think it ended up in Georgia Tech. I did not watch the game tonight, just so you did. You watched every minute of it. Um, 
it looked like a nail biter as I'm following on Twitter because I couldn't load it up in time. Uh, but I mean, I think in, in my perception of the team is, um, and I said this to you, you know, a week ago is that I think there's going to be ebbs and flows in the offense as we get into the tougher schedule. But the defense is really what's starting to be, you know, mind blowing. Uh, I haven't looked into the stats of where this defense, whether it's points per game or you know just uh, stats, but it is, it's pretty remarkable. And it, you know, the players have said this is what Buzz always wanted to build, and this is what we wanted to be part of uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And the offense can be explosive, but we've seen ebbs and flows where you can get yourself in trouble there. According to Ken Baum, it's been a top 40 defense for at least a couple weeks now. And I think we we're 36 this week. The offense has been was what has been dragging our Ken Palm ranking up into the top 10. It was eighth as of this morning. Uh, but on the floor and in these last couple games, we've been seeing the defense take over because we didn't have a good shooting night against BC. We didn't have a good shooting night at all tonight against Georgia Tech. It was it was pitiful. We shot 18.5% from three. I think last game it was around 27 or something. Uh, so the shooting has has just dipped the last couple of games. Against Notre Dame, it was sensational. But tonight against Georgia Tech, we forced 18 turnovers. Uh, that is unbelievable. I mean, Georgia Tech was shooting themselves in the foot, don't get me wrong, but it takes two to tango, and we were helping that helping that happen for sure. And, you know, Buzz and the, and the coaching staff, I think, have done such a good job of changing things up in ways that they haven't done in years past. It makes it easier when your players are veterans and they know exactly where everyone's going to be on the floor. But when B. Sabidi comes in against BC and he helps shut down their, their leading score, you know, and, and he's our sixth, seventh man. Yeah. So it's, it's really a pleasure to watch what they're doing. And I would say with all the coaching turnover, I was nervous about how it was going to look how the team was going to be cohesive with a bunch of our assistants going out the door. Maybe it's the tea leaves are being read and it's like, oh, Buzz is leaving two in a year. But if anything, I'm seeing more from the on-court product in terms of X's and O's than I've ever seen before. And that could just be a symptom of age, but it could have something to do with the, the new coaches that are you know getting sinking their teeth into this team. I mean, it's it's definitely one of the more veteran teams. I mean, you know, you want to compare it to football when we had one one of the most, you know, um, you know, young teams in, in in the country, and now you have one of the most veteran teams in the country. That helps a lot. They digest quicker. They understand quicker. Um, I think it might have been. Uh, I can't remember. I think it was uh, Naw came out and said, you know, they are they are scheming every game differently. And they are scheming against the opponent. There, there's not the kind of a base offense, base defense. They're looking at what it is because they know that the players can, can digest it that fast, and then put it out on on the court, which is pretty amazing. I think on the the defensive side, the other part I would put there is this is not a big team. This is not a block shot team. Like you know, so yeah, they're fast, they're nimble, they get steals and things like that. But um, you know, what they've been able to do is relatively without the size that you would typically see amongst an ACC team, which I think is even more impressive um, for them to be able to put that, put that out there. We really get our hands in passing lanes and create havoc for the opposing offenses. We're shooting like 
44% from three for the year. I know that that dipped down tonight, but we were number one as of uh, you know last week in in three point shooting in the nation. We were the number one team, Virginia Tech, and with the with just the arrangement of Hill and Outlaw and Robinson, you you've got a lot of guys that can make the three. And, and BD's even starting to bring his average up from three too. That is the weapon that we need to get back on track against UVA. And before we dive just a little bit deeper into UVA, uh, I just want to say, like, Buzz's first year, everyone knows, we were last. You know, we won two games in the ACC. We were 2-16. and 16. We finished seventh in the ACC every year since, in those three years. Going 10-8 and eight in the conference each year, we obviously made the tournament the last two years. And then you, you think about what's happening this year. And to go from three 10-8 seasons, to go from, you know, last place three years in a row, if you count the two James Johnson's years and the Buzz's first year. And now we're staring a top 10 matchup versus UVA, you know, a historically great basketball school on national television. You know, that it's, it's amazing. (laughs) It's coming up on Tuesday night next week and I cannot wait. Yeah. And it should be, well, we'll get into the details of that game, but you know, the, just what he's been able to do is everything that we talked about it. And and now we're allowed to kind of look back a little bit when you and I talked about the buzz hire and all the interviews and everything that people talk to him, like why is buzz leaving Marquette and he's going to this school that's so, you know, so down in the ACC. And he talked about all of his stats, his mentality, the way he thinks about, you know, his career and his success Everything that he said, and it may not pay off for the rest of the year, but everything at this point right now, today, he said was true, was he could make a mark in one of the toughest basketball country conferences, period, uh, over the last five years. And probably, you know, you could claim for <laughs> for a long time, even longer yeah. than that. And he said, I think I can make my mark in, in this conference and have it pay off well for him, but also for the, the school. And... Um, it's, it's just, it's just true. I mean, no matter where we end up now, Virginia tech is literally getting recognition amongst analysts, people that are talking about the program, people that are, you know, projecting what's going to happen in the, the, you know, the tournament March madness. Uh, he did everything that he said he was going to do. And it, it's been through a stern, um, focus on, Buzz Williams is Dabo. Absolutely. I'm, and I'm, Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, their mentality is the same. They care about their players the same amount. And, and that I'm not that saying that is like Fuente isn't. I'm just saying that the mentality is the same, that when the players care that much about you and care about the work ethic and that you care about what's happening off the court and you care about their success in life, like they just play harder and they pay more attention and they work harder. And he talked to the other day about how people just keep getting there earlier and earlier. Like the, the, the backups are like showing up at 5 a.m. and people are showing up at 4 a.m. And it's it just, everybody wants to work and make themselves better. It is a mentality that is very hard and you have to instill it. It's easier in basketball because you have a limited number of players and you don't have as much, you know, you don't have 85 guys. That you have, you can have to. more personal relationships with every player yeah. in basketball. But it is very akin to what 
And I'm not saying that we're going to be Clemson at all. I'm just saying that this style is very akin to what Dabo is doing. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. So we play UVA next Tuesday night, and we're not going to go deep into the X's and O's or anything, but we obviously know they have Kyle Guy, DeAndre Hunter, and Ty Jerome. These are these are some names we've heard before. They've also got a transfer from Alabama who's a big man, and they provide a difficult matchup on, on the defensive end. We know what they do on defense. They want to slow the pace down, all that kind of thing. Um, the one thing I noticed about their roster is, and, and just the statistics they're putting out there is they're not a great shooting team. UVA is, is not, doesn't have the percentages that we do, um, from beyond the arc or, or otherwise that also really isn't their game. Although Kyle guy is known as a shooter. What I, what I saw on their roster is that a lot of their guards are not big. And you look at Justin Robinson and you look at BD and you look at Isaiah Wilkins. I mean, we have some beef that you can that you can throw at some skinnier guards and potentially push them around a little bit. Now, as for the big men, they they obviously have more than us. Everyone's got more than us. We don't want to get into you know a rebounding competition with them. We want to be making our shots. We want to be getting steals, getting out in transition, that kind of thing. Uh, I like our chances. I mean, I think it's hard to say the matchup is good against someone like UVA. Because we just we lack big. It's hard to say a matchup is good for us at any time because of how short we are in the front court. But I do like our chances. We beat them in JPJ last year. It was kind of a miracle finish. But I'm excited. I think it's very winnable. And of course, they just embarrassed number nine Florida State just last weekend. So and that's a big team. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I, I fully, you know, I expect UVA to win that game. Um, just in, in my opinion, it's not that it, like, you know, I don't know, you know, X's and O's and all of that as well as you do, but I do expect UVA to win that game, but it'll be low scoring. I think it, like it always is with UVA. That's what they'd like to do. And it's really going to come down to the three ball for us. Like if it's on that night and you, you know, we're shooting or, you know, 44% from, you know, three or 40% from three, then um, they're not going to allow that to happen, obviously. But if we're we're shooting the ball well, we can keep it really close and give ourselves a, a pretty good shot at it. And even if we lose, I think it'll be relatively low scoring to where you know people aren't going to look at it and say much. I mean, UVA is undoubtedly one of the top, you know, two three teams in the nation, um, and that's 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 fine. Like we're, you're going to lose games. Like there's going to be games that you lose. I hope they come out and they win. But if they do win, I don't know what you think, but it'll be by less than, you know, it'll be probably, you know, buzzer beater or, you know, three points at, at most if they pull it off. Um, but the good news is, is that yeah, I don't foresee UVA coming out and beating us by 20. Right. And I don't, it's hard. It's hard to imagine it not being a close game. It just because the way these teams go at each other, the makeup of our team, the makeup of their team, it's it's hard to imagine it not being a close game. Um, I I am very very excited. I I I know uh, it's not easy to win on the road. We saw that tonight, and that was the the tagline that everyone's saying after the Georgia Tech game. It was only a three point game. Georgia Tech, not one of the stronger teams in the ACC. They're they're a bottom five team. But it's an ACC road win, and that's a throwaway line, but it's the truth. And now you're going to 
John Paul Jones, <laughs> you know, the number four team in the country's arena. Uh, as of today, they could be higher next week. We'll see. Um, yeah, it's going to be very difficult, but we have done it. We've done it repeatedly over the last three, four, six, seven. Dorenzo Hudson got us a win in JPJ not not too, too long ago. Yeah, and I think the the time before, the, the, having some time before the game, is is huge having kind of a bye weekend. Yeah, they got to play this weekend. Yeah, and and that that helps us I think immensely, especially coming back to my original point which is um what um Nikhil said which is they they are scrimmaging for the opponent. They're not scrimmaging to play well, they're scrimmaging against the opponent's weaknesses and against their strengths and that's what Buzz is going to be teaching them and, and helping them understand. If there's anybody that can diagnose what they're good at and try and put us in a good position, um, Bennett is, uh, you know, Bennett plays the same, they, they play the same style every single game because they know what they're good at. Buzz is in a position that now he's adapting to who he's going he up against. And that's pretty remarkable to think about in terms of this matchup. So he's got a, you know, he doesn't have a week, but he's got a few days here to to really kind of digest and make sure that everybody's adapted to what they should be doing on the court. I'm hoping because we've had two bad shooting games in a row now that law of averages brings us back and we have a good one against UVA. Now, it's unlikely because of how good of a defense they play, but even if it's relative to what they give up, it would be huge. You know, get to that 40% mark from three and you're going to have a damn good chance of winning the game. Um, I I just I'm I'm so excited. And I I've I've been poo pooing, like you know the strength of our schedule, and you know we lost Nolly and Clark, and then now that's become official for the season. Um, but at this point, I am just going to enjoy every game. Yeah, just just enjoy the ride. Don't you know? Hey, if we don't get enough wins, no, it, we're fourteen and one. Yes. This is incredible. This is some kind of some unprecedented ACC success. It's definitely unprecedented ACC success. Uh, while while we've been in the ACC, I mean, uh, and it and it hasn't happened more or less in our lifetimes. So we really need to enjoy every game, and and in particular, let's hope we can enjoy the next game. All right, Robbie, should we do the do the bowl recap? Does anyone care about the bowl recap? <laughs> we've already talked a long time, but I. I think we should at least um, at least address it. It was our last game. We did get to a bowl. That was nice uh, to keep that streak alive. But we couldn't keep the winning season streak alive. We did go six and seven. We lost thirty-five to thirty-one to the Bearcats. I uh, I don't know if I should just ask for your reaction, or do you want me to kind of just do like four sentences on what happened in the game? Um, I'm, I'm mixed because I have kind of my reactions to the game and I think I want to just kick it off the opposite way, which it was a good game. I mean, this was a close it was a great game. Yeah. I, in a loss, I haven't enjoyed watching a game like that in a while. Um, it was not necessarily back and forth, but it was competitive. It was interesting the way that the game played. I know it sucks the outcome, but I maybe I'm just the you know odd man out that I enjoyed watching the game, knowing that over time maybe I'm just getting old and crotchety, or maybe I'm just listening to too many analysts about how 
how bowl games don't actually matter for anything. So I just took it for what it was, like an exciting game that had no... I know not having the winning season was important, but we accomplished two other things with UVA and then making the bowl game that I think were really important. If we were looking for the trifecta, well, guess what? We didn't get it, but I actually enjoyed the game uh, pretty immensely in, in terms of watching it, having it, you know, you know, get my heart rate up, you know, thinking that we had a chance. The outcome is not what I would have wanted, but I also don't put much measure on the outcome whatsoever. And I know that's very leading in terms of giving my overall thoughts before we get into any sort of detail, but that's where I fell out on it. It was a good game. I went to the game and had a great time. Tailgate was fun. Uh, I happened to park very close to a friend of ours, Hokey Joe, friend of the podcast, and he gave me some great Aslan beer to drink during the tailgate, so that was a nice bonus. It, of course, started raining as soon as the game started, so we were lucky enough to bring ponchos and just got still got soaked. Like my, my boots and my jacket was still completely soaked by the end of the game, but it was a fun, fun time. Like The game was very fun in person. I think on TV... It was probably a little less fun because there were certain calls and certain reviews that were just very frustrating to watch when I was rewatching it. But um, drinking beer, drink, you know, drinking some bourbon before the game, drinking beer during the game because they sell alcohol. Uh, I had a great time. It, I was, I was, uh, you know, feeling no pain during that thing, and we had a great time watching our Hokies fight. But we couldn't fight just enough because at the end of the game, we gave up five straight rushes. They went right down the field and scored the winning touchdown. And that was the part of it that really killed me. I know Ricky Walker had been knocked out of the game, and we had a bunch of guys knocked out of the game, right? I mean, Stephen Peoples went up lame. Uh, was it another one, uh, our defensive backs or something? I can't. Oh, yeah, McLeese ended up going out of the game towards the end, and I think Quellen, which, oh, yeah, you know, Quellen, yeah. It, yeah, he, what, uh, <laughs> let's, Let's be honest about what we have at that position. And uh, you, know, you can put kind of anybody in, in there. Um, and that's probably more harsh than I meant to say it. But uh, that that wasn't really uh, great. But, you know, we gave up. This was what you expected to see. And I think the only reason that we were in the game is knocking out the quarterback. Because he was, he was off to a pretty good start. Hayden Moore was playing and then got knocked out. So once again, Virginia Tech ended up playing up against another. It was, yeah, it was Ritter started, oh, knocked out. Moore comes in the game. I got you. And you're right. So we're facing the backup QB yet again. Again. And he wasn't awesome. He was fine. He he threw under 50% completion and an interception and no touchdowns. So then at that point, it's like, all we have to do is stop the run. Can we just stop the run? And in the second half, they started running the ball better. Than, they went right up the middle, scored a touchdown real quick. And at the end of the game, like I already said, the, the five straight rushes went down the field in two minutes and 16 seconds to take the lead. It's like, you know what they're going to do. They have their backup quarterback. It's raining. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to run the ball. Yeah, It was so frustrating. Yeah, they had passes. Again, this is just go back to any game. <laughs> Of everyone that we played, passes of 38 yards, 32 yards, rushes of 40 yards, and rushes of 33 yards on big chunk plays. And Virginia Tech actually had some big chunk plays too. 
I, you know, that's not to take anything away from some of the things that we did in the past game and we did in, um, the run game as well. Um, less so in the run game more in the past, but it was when, when Dylan rivers made the interception and then, um, we had, we, then we the fumbled the ball. Down play. Yeah. And then it was just, it was a disaster. The, did you want to kick the field goal there or did you just, the play was bad. What, what was your thought process on that? I, Cause yeah, Dylan rivers gets the ball on the interception. We're down at like the 10 it's then it becomes fourth down and they have Dalton Keene going out on the right side. And then Willis goes back and it fumbles. It It was just a disaster. It was a mess. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know because it became so much more hindsight, which, uh, you know, I read the David Teal, uh, article about it, which is where I pull a lot of my stats and stuff. And, and I think he's very level headed in the way he looks at it, but even his article was, you know, he mentions in it, I would have kicked the field goal there. But that's a hindsight review because what ended up happening was at the on the last drive when we had the chance with what happened two interceptions one got called back and then threw another interception we ended up pressing because we weren't going for the field goal to try and you know win it then we have to go for the touchdown and that's yeah. that's what changed everything that Ryan Willis had not only the pressure of you know this being probably the final drive of the game, but now he's not looking for just three. He's looking to get the the full six. And, um, but that's a hindsight view, right? That happened afterwards. Yeah, I didn't really have a problem with going for the touchdown, uh, you know, cause you're only, you're still only going to be up six. And so I, I didn't really, it's a bowl game. Like I didn't really have a problem with going for it. It's just that the play was so bad um, due to what various reasons that it was like, well, guess we probably should have cooked that field goal and gone up six because then, but Cincinnati scored a touchdown anyway. Yeah. So then we still like, I, I know, and I know, and I know, but it's like, you're right. It's a bowl game, fourth down. It's okay to go for it. And I didn't have a problem with that. I just wish we had punched it in because we were right there. I wish we had gotten it on third down for Christ's sake, you know? Yeah. I think the, the, but the final, the Cincinnati drive where they went 65 yards, no problem that that's, indicative of where this defense is today i hope it's not what it is next year but that was troublesome to watch it it looked it was like the pit game it looked so easy for them they really didn't look like they were even stressed they knew that they could drive the fields and um that's but that's not all that surprising that's literally the defense that we've been putting out all season so um that's I kind of went into yeah, the game. not not all season when Ricky has been present and healthy and playing games, it's been so much different against the rush. That's fair. Like it, it really has been, and that's that was what was so killer. I mean, we gave up seven point one yards per rush, over two hundred fifty yards on the ground for Cincinnati. Warren one sixty six and two touchdowns. Um, and yeah, you know this is when their backup QBs in the game, and you know they're going to run, and we still couldn't stop it. Am I seeing this correct that we had zero tackles for loss yeah, in the game? I, yeah, I think that's right. Good that we were not really. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen that. I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah, in all in all these uh, four years of us doing this, I don't think I've ever seen a game where we got zero tackles for loss. As as soon as Stephen Peoples looked like, and I still haven't looked at it because I'm an idiot, but the looked like a groin injury. But as soon as I saw him pull up and like grab onto his leg, you know I'm a Stephen Peoples fan. 
He still he played well in that game um, up until the time. But McLeese played better. He did. But they both went out. <laughs> I know. But the Peoples went out way early. And, yeah, he did. Yeah. And, and he's um, a leader and all that stuff. Yeah. And when you lose when you lose Stephen Peoples and Ricky Walker, which are probably your two leaders on either side of the ball, right? If you really think about it, then. You're going to be tough in a to bad, come back from that. It's a bad spot, and uh, I got to be honest. Cincinnati's a good team. Like, like Fickle has like really turned that into a good team. Um, you probably listened to it as well. I've referenced it a hundred times, but I always get best insight from you know podcasts ain't played nobody. PAPN was like, "Hey, he's recruiting the hell out of Ohio right now. He's an Ohio guy. People thought that he might get the Ohio State job um, after what he's done there. He's." It's a talented group. They're way ahead of schedule in what they've been doing. It's a tough team. They played they played defense very, very well in comparison to what you would expect for, you know, a Virginia Tech versus Cincinnati type game. And quite frankly, either team should have gotten the win in this. It was a shootout. And yeah. we ended up on the the other side of it. I walked away from this game less upset than I've probably been in a long time you know i i wish that we won it but i was just i i i looked at it and it was two good teams that went at each other and um you know or i not two good teams i should say two competitive teams in the game and one had to come out of victor and yeah they, they did both it. played hard yeah and i i would say i'm less frustrated by this one than i was by the oklahoma state one last year because i really thought we were on the cusp of like taking control of that game when the whole fumble happened and everything but just a last couple notes before we kind of, you know, give our final thoughts and sign off because we're pretty much done with this podcast. We're going to do a f- more of a state of the program podcast and answer some uh, listener questions uh, in our next podcast, hopefully with a guest. So stay tuned for that. But just a couple final things, and this is about the offense. Willis, solid game, three total touchdowns, just one. Uh, interception, which I, was that the late one that we're talking about? Yes, he had. Well, one got called back because it was it was the final drive. He threw the interception, yeah. but there was a penalty on the defense, so it got called back. And then he had to air out another one, which was the long bomb down the left hand side, and that one got picked. If you had to guess, where did Willis's QBR finish nationally for the year? Oh, Among all the quarterbacks in college football, where, where did he, where do you think he finished? Like in what sense? In terms of total ranking or like, national ranking, like yeah. one through ten, one through one twenty eight, or just like yeah, uh, one through one twenty eight. I would yeah. say he was probably a top twenty five. He was number twenty four in QBR. <laughs> that that's we haven't talked pretty, about. By the way, we haven't talked about this. I just I was that was just my estimate, and that's pretty close. Yeah, no, I I, I was curious as because I I was gonna guess like thirty five. Like if I because I'm being honest, like I knew he had a good one, and that doesn't take into account when he's missing his reads and everything. But it does take into account down and distance. It does take into account running, and you know this year he had twenty eight total touchdowns. And a 74.9 QBR. That's pretty damn good. His passer rating, not so efficient. Uh, but I think the QBR lends itself to, like, it tells you just a little bit more that, like, yeah, he's a pretty solid quarterback. He he really is. And, yeah, he fucks up a lot. But uh, I was impressed to see that he finished 24th in the country in that stat. And we spent a lot of the season 
trashing Cornelson. I, I, and maybe even me more so than you. Um, we both we both took our shots on the offense. Three straight games scoring 30 or more points to finish the year against nothing to sneeze at defenses here. Marshall's 14th in S&P Plus. UVA was 27th. Cincinnati, 24th. And, and we scored an average of 35 points against those three teams to finish the year. Yeah, I think um, you gave me a lot of thoughts, but I'll try and keep them short and sweet, that I think that Ryan Willis has a serious uh, chance of starting next year. In fact, I texted during the game. We were three quarters in. I texted Joe, and I said, I think Ryan Willis is going to start next year. Um, Not because of you know anything else other than the the guy wants to win he can make tough passes um he's obviously overcome whatever you know things that we thought were you know um problems off the field um with with the locker room he the guy just wants to win games and you can tell it all the time and that's something that you can't really teach that's just an you know something that's in your blood and that's what you want to do i um I was I, I I I agree with you that I was on I was on Brad's you know <laughs> uh, bad list in terms of not being happy with it, but um, he's I think he could I think he could start next year. I don't know whether it's going to be him or or one of the other quarterbacks, but the guy wants to win games and he puts out all the effort. He rarely slides he rarely he's the reason that when a lot of those times that it's third and seven i feel comfortable that we're probably going to get the first down mostly because he'll just take off with his feet and not that he's all that athletic but he just wants to get the first down he saves us in a lot of places that i think we lack in other areas and not to say that he's the best quarterback in the world but um he's good and it's going to be a competition it's going to be a competition. Um, it's funny. If you were asking me to to gun to my head who's going to start game one next year, I think I'd still say Josh Jackson. And that's not because that's what I want. It's just what, it's just what I kind of think will happen. Uh, that can change over the next month. And that's good fodder for another podcast. Tim, Quincy Patterson, Hendon Hooker is still in the mix. Uh, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how the quarterback room shakes out. I did want to congratulate McLeese on his big day. He went over 100 yards, and he's coming back next year. Hazleton, six catches. I assume he'll be back. Kuma, the strong TD reception to start the game. Again, we a great drive to start the game. I wish we could continue that throughout the game. But um, Turner making all these guys come ca- back. Turner making really tough catches at like really opportune yeah. times. Um, he had the nice run in the game too. Turner did mm-hmm. on the jet sweep. It, it's. It's going to be exciting on offense next year. It really is. And that 44th ranking in the national ranking for S&P Plus on offense, that was ahead of our national ranking the year Gerard Evans was in school. No. I'll just say that right now. Well, that 44, that 44, well, we can do all our stuff in the offseason. That 44 is going to move Isn't that surprising? Do you find that surprising? That that, our offense was rated nationally better this year than it was the year that we had – Evans and Isaiah Ford and Bucky Hodges and Cam Phillips and Trayvon McMillan this year was more efficient um, on the national relative scale, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. And that number is, um, if you want to, 
you want a little bit of happiness while we get ready for the off season, that number is going to move up. If it doesn't, I will be <laughs> yeah. blown away because we pretty much return everything except for people's. All the people calling for Cornelson's head this year, if we don't have a top 50 offense next year, I mean, it's it's going to get real ugly. But let's let's hope that's not the case. We did have some listener questions. We're not going to get to uh, get to all of them tonight. I'm, I'm, Jeffrey, I'm going to save your questions for the next podcast. Basil, I, he brought up the uh, the Resilience IPA, but in his email he also asked, what are our thoughts on Jeremy Webb, where is Savoy going to end up, and our thoughts on Hendon Hooker. The Savoy question, this is no disrespect for the question, I do not care. Um, I, I wish him the best. It'll probably be a G5 school or FCS, I don't know. Uh, but Savoy is gone, and he's no longer with the program. I really don't care where he ends up. Do you care, <laughs> or should we move on? No, you've always been anti-Savoy. But that, I, I know he's been through a lot and so I'm not no disrespect to the kid either it's just that I don't care where he ends up he's not on our team anymore um, Jeremy Webb tore his second Achilles which sucks I will say he came back from the first one it was June to November when he was running around again so that's about six months five six months maybe I, two Achilles tears who knows if the kid will ever play football again but this is a four star Juco corner we brought in to help out this year <laughs> In the time he's been on campus, he's unfortunately torn both Achilles. Six months from now, that's only June. So maybe he could get right and be back in the mix by the time fall camp rolls I around. think he's talented enough. But I care more about his health than I care about anything else. You know, I want I want the kid to be healthy. Um, if he is healthy and he is, you know, up to continuing to play football, um, I think he'll be on the field next year um, is, is my thought process. And the last question about Hendon Hooker. I have no clue because it seems like he's going to be the odd man out with Jackson and Willis and QP because it just seems like Quincy Patterson is the quarterback of the future. That could change. I I really don't know. It's going to depend on spring ball and everything else. I don't know how Hooker fits in. I don't. He was a very highly recruited guy on his own right. Like I mean, I know everyone wants to talk about Patterson, but I mean. Hooker was like a four-star from North Carolina. It was a big deal when we got him. And I'll take it a different – well, I don't want to front-run kind of our our big-picture podcast, but I, I think it's important to realize that there's a lot of good quarterbacks that are transferring uh, right now. And I think people understand what Fuente's done with quarterbacks and Cornelson as well. And none of them – Virginia Tech has not been on the board for any of them. So in my mind – for Fuente, that's put two guys in the NFL and that's, you know, first round draft picks. Uh, you would expect Virginia Tech to get a look. The fact that their name is not even popping up, I think, means that Virginia Tech feels comfortable with their quarterback situation at present. So um, to me, whether it's Hooker or it's not going to be Hooker, I don't think. But QP for next year, yeah, 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 for next year. But even down the road, I mean, some of these people have still have two years of eligibility left, and yeah. um, I think that we feel like we're in a good spot. And I'll trust trust the co- the coaching staff. In my mind, has still we put our stats out. I did the stats on um, each of the players. If you want to look at Gerard um, versus JJ versus Ryan Willis, uh, I put all the stats out on um, our website. You can look at them. They're not that much different. I think we we don't have elite stats in pretty much any respect, but they're all 
very productive quarterbacks that we've been able to put out on the field. So I feel comfortable with the decision that's going to end up coming out. Well, I think that's going to do it. Um, we are going to cover, like we've mentioned a couple times, a bigger picture of Virginia Tech things going on, a little bit of who we're still looking at and this the signing day coming up and, and everything, uh, basketball. This will all be covered in the next podcast. State of the program, big picture stuff is is I know what's on everyone's mind. Are we going to hire new coaches? Um, what's the momentum like? Why is everyone scoffing at our way too early top twenty five rankings? These are the things that I think can be best answered uh, with the help of an outside opinion. Because me and Robbie sometimes we get into group think maybe a little too much on these things, maybe even agree with each other a little too much. So we'd like to discuss some of that stuff with a guest. So hopefully we'll bring. Bringing that to you in the middle of January, towards the end of January, somewhere in there. Uh, obviously, our off-season schedule is a little bit more uh, <laughs> unorganized. <laughs> we kind of we kind of just do it when we feel like a podcast is necessary. But we will be getting hopefully one to two a month out to you guys in the off-season. So make sure you stay tuned to the feed. And if you have any big kind of our next podcast, no matter what, whether whoever we have on, which I think we were pretty much set on it. Um, if you have big picture questions, send them over to us because, uh, you know, we don't respond to things that just show up on our Twitter feed. We, you got to send us a message and say, hey, we want this answered or that answered. So it'd be great to get any questions that you have and um, we can get out of our group think and let somebody else answer it as well. So we can give... Uh, give updates on that as as everybody else sees it okay you can hit us on twitter it's at 2dvt it's 2dvt at gmail.com to send us any of those questions and 2dvt.com is a website where you can stream all of our podcasts see all of the beers we've had our stats and me and robbie's record in the picks against one another all of it's on there i won i, I thought you were going to it was getting <laughs> It wasn't it, looking good for me towards the end there, but uh, by two, yeah, I thought I she got by me two picks. You. I think I uh, ended up beating you out, but both of us had a winning record against the spread. So I think I was fifty six percent, and you were fifty. Hey, can't argue with that. Four percent. That'll make you money. <laughs> That's right. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, go Hokies.